Hi everyone, this is Sarah. Before we jump into the Getting to Nimble episode, I wanted to let you know that we recorded this back in January. It's a conversation with colleagues at the First Congregational Church of St. Louis, and we are talking about last summer and the worship planning that we did and the curriculum that we've just released that relates to summer worship or just doesn't have to be summer, but a, a uh, 14 week worship plan. So of course things look different now, but I think that you will still find this conversation very interesting and inspiring. And hopefully you'll check out the curriculum that we developed because there's a lot in there regardless of whether we are worshiping in person or at a distance. Welcome to Getting to Nimble. I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century church. Today we are talking about last summer's experimental worship time. Yeah, we're talking about the process that we used to create a very different kind of worship than our congregation had been used to. We're actually being joined today by two of our colleagues. So Bill and I will introduce ourselves a little bit more and then we'll introduce you to the rest of the people in the room. If the um, microphones sound a little bit different today, it's because we have multiples, because we are four of us and we can't all fit around one microphone anymore. We could, but it would be really uncomfortable. Yeah, no, boundaries. Boundaries, boundaries that's are right. Good. good boundaries in the church. So I have pastored primarily Presbyterian churches uh, for over 30 years, large, small, in between, uh, always though with some kind of staff. Uh, whether there's extra, uh, more than one pastor, but certainly educators, musicians, youth workers, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm the musician. I have worked all over the denominational spectrum, mainline, evangelical, Catholic. Basically, if they hire organists, I have probably worked there. And we are joined by Emily Stokes and Hannah Rice, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm in my ninth year of working in children's ministry. Um, I started out in a Methodist church in which I grew up, and now I am here in the UCC and enjoying it. My name is Hannah Rice. I am a – my title is Minister of Administration and Membership. I do a lot of different things. I've worked uh, in the United Methodist Church, also grew up in the UMC, jumped over to the UCC, and have done several different things in ministry throughout my life. So the four of us this past year, January of 2019, we came together, all four of us, to create a different kind of worship experience for the church where we all work for our summer worship. So that was about 14 Sundays that we were working on. And we experienced something that was, I think, for all of us, a little bit transformative, maybe a lot transformative, not just in terms of what we created, but also in our work process because of how incredibly collaborative it was. So I'm going to let Bill tell a little bit about the background and why we even thought we should be doing something really different in the summer. One of the things that our current congregation has has been struggling with for a number of years, like a lot of mainline or old-line congregations are struggling with these days, is uh, education programs. Sunday school programs have shrunk down because there aren't as many children, uh, or attendance patterns of the children make it difficult to have a, a group there on any particular Sunday that is is cogent and, and you can do something meaningful education-wise with. And adult education has almost fallen by the wayside because people just can't, if it's more than a one-off 
event, they can't get there. They can't participate and choose not to participate. And so in our Wednesday staff meeting, I said, so what if we took the Sundays this summer and experimented with ways to do faith education, uh, faith formation in worship that with the hope that we might replace, even replace Sunday school or replace adult education with the educational things we could do in worship. Go. And we spent probably four or five weeks just talking about what that meant uh, without writing much down. And, and we were probably week five or six before we started saying, oh, summer's coming. We need to begin to start doing some planning but about this. even then, it was still only about February because we spent a lot of time talking and just thinking, kind of imagining and drawing on our experiences, what could intergenerational faith formation worship look like? What 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 even could that be? Right, right. Um, and and we should add the other player who's not sitting around the table mm. today. Hi, Connor. We had we had a seminary student, a senior at Eden Theological Seminary, uh, Connor Filkins, who was part of our group as well. And uh, he was bringing a lot of you know fresh, brand new theological learning to the table, and was an important part of the conversation. Um, and and. I, what I remember was there was a lot of laughter early on as we were, you know, dreaming and just thinking big picture. Um, and, and then as we began to narrow things down and say, okay, what's this going to look like? How can we do something from week to week? Uh, it began to get more serious. There was still a lot of humor. I shouldn't, we, we were good at laughing. There, there's together. always a lot of humor. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but it, it, we did get more serious as we began to focus and try and create, okay, what does it, what would a typical Sunday in this pattern look like? What might some overarching themes be? And then how do we begin to put together specific ideas for different Sundays and, and how they will be educational, faith formational, uh, and, and interactive in worship? Because interactive, I think, was one of those premises, premises uh, we were operating on. So as we were working kind of with this general idea of, oh, we're going to do something different in the summer. What could that be? What could faith formation look like? We ended up latching onto this idea of what we called the neighborhood summer or a neighborhood summer. And that became our theme. We started out by thinking about Mr. Rogers. We ended up not, I think, doing anything really with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but giving us that idea of like, you know, what does it mean to love your neighbor's and uh, kind of organized our thoughts around that. Then we had sub-themes. We got, we got kind of deep into the weeds of theme and sub-theme, and each week had a theme, and uh, it was a little bit much. But what, what we were really trying for intently was making sure that each service had um, a lot of creativity in it, and as, as Bill said, a lot of interactivity. And I want to think a little bit about process, and I hope the rest of y'all will, will join in. Whatever their it, names are over there. <laughs> We started out, I think, in a place where we already had at least somewhat of a trusting relationship with each other. And I, I think of that in particular because I'm, I don't think by nature I'm a very collaborative person. I have had way too many projects where I did all the work and no one else did any of the work. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done with these collaborative projects. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not here for this. Um, this was entirely different. Um, we were all pulling our own weight, of course. But for me, it wasn't just that we each brought ideas to the table, but that each idea was not even unique to one of us. Like we'd put an idea out there and then change it and change it and, ta- and change it. And basically like so many hands had been laid on e- each idea. It was like all blessed to be like <laughs> this, like all, all of us have had that idea. I felt it was really valuable that we didn't 
confine ourselves to our specific job descriptions. So while I don't usually have a hand in developing worship or themes, I was able to take part in that. And we were all stepping outside of what we typically do to collaborate together, which I found really valuable. I think it was also interesting because we each kind of have our specific role within worship. You know, Bill does the sermon and liturgy and Sarah does the music and I typically do the children's moment. Um, But this gave us an opportunity to each step into multiple roles, which is helpful because the worship service should flow. And when you have each person kind of siloed off doing their own thing, you can have nice flow. But this offered a different kind of flow because every single person had a hand in every piece of worship. Um, So it was just a different feeling of going into worship, knowing you had touched basically every part of it. I think that came up with uh, even our theme song for the summer, which is Christopher Grundy's I Will Sing of Your Love, Love, Love. And I, I wasn't the one who came up with that. I didn't know that song. I will sing. No, yeah, it's good, a, good, a good song. But that was, you know, us collaboratively and I think Hannah or Emily proposing that song um, for us to do throughout the summer. I want to talk about the, the collaborative piece as well because, you know, I've been at this now 30 plus years. Oh, we, we missed our line. Bill and I have ministered in churches for over 50 years between the two of us, and we yeah. haven't burned out yet. We yet. skipped that in our yet. intro. Ding, ding, <laughs> um, I couldn't imagine 10 years ago, certainly 15, 20 years ago, being comfortable sharing so much worship planning uh, because that was something I'm supposed to do as the pastor. And, and, and that's, that's an expectation people have of me. It was wonderful to be able, really for the first time in my career, to say, can we do this together? And, and very exciting and energizing. Um, I, I, I have, you know, I've reflected in writing on, on this experience in other places, and, and I've never enjoyed uh, planning a series of services so much. Uh, it was very meaningful to me to do this. I think we were able to do this in part because of the level of trust and um, initiative that we all of us have. But there's also just the fact that, like, between all of us, like, we have been doing church work for a really long time. We've grown up in the church. We've worked in the church for a long time. And we all of us have a lot of education around um, church work. So we're not coming – we weren't coming at this um, – I don't know, with a blank slate or something. Like we, we, we all had a lot of experience to bring, uh, bring to this project. We also tend to spend a couple of hours together a week in a staff meeting. And, and the initial part of that is eating lunch together and just kind of banter. And, and I, you know, as an interim, I'm not here long term, but, uh, Hannah and Emily and I had been doing this for about a year. You were the, the newbie at seven months, I think, mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. And, and, but, that time we had spent together gave us a great foundation um, of trust for one another and, and comfort with each other for doing this kind of work together. So we realized this would be um, different for the congregation, and uh, I think Bill's laughing. <laughs> <laughs> different. I mean, how about how about day and night for the congregation yeah. in many so, ways? So we were fortunate in a way in that the church was already used to doing something different in the summer already. Just just kind of as a habit, um, knowing that that a change in the summer didn't necessarily mean the whole church has changed under them, that that kind of thing. But we still felt like we really had to think very um, explicitly about how do we make these changes with, like, in a way that helps people feel comfortable and ready to worship. Yeah, so uh, there had been a couple summers already that we had tried different things. Sometimes Sunday school changed in the summer. A couple years ago, we worshiped in the chapel instead of the sanctuary. So the congregation was a little bit 
already comfortable with things in the summer being a little bit different, but we wanted to make sure we were intentional about the changes we were making and how we were communicating them to people. So we made sure upfront, we were telling them weeks ahead of time, we're trying something new. We were really excited about it. We always phrased it in a way that helped the congregation see that we were excited, um, but that it would be different. And we even said, some of the things we're going to try are not going to work. They're going to fail, and that is okay and faithful to do. And some of the things we're going to try, maybe we're going to love them, but we were kind of having an exper experimental time of worship together. So that's how we sort of framed it for people. But we also wanted to make sure that the beginning of the worship time and the end of the worship time were very similar or the same as people were used to. So we were entering the worship space and exiting in a way that felt familiar and comfortable. And so each of our weeks in the summer were framed similarly to the way that we always did it. I always feel like there are some people who really want the organ postlude, and they got their organ postlude. <laughs> <laughs> we also uh, made sure that we were giving explicit instructions in the bulletin and spoken aloud so that people knew what was happening and how it was going to happen. Um, there were times when things were really different, like we had communion around one big table at the front of the sanctuary, so people were walking into a worship space that even looked very different than they were used to. But I think part of how we were able to do that was by making sure people knew, we're not messing with your communion forever, but this time we're going to try something new. I feel like you guys helped me remember, but I feel like this was one of the most, uh, one of the things we talked about the most in staff meetings was through this flow of worship, like, oh, we're doing this different activity. How do we cue people to go here or there or the other? I did a lot of... Um, like interlude music, kind of like cover cover music. Oh, you're going to go travel play music. Yeah, tr yes, thank you. Travel music. And we we used I will sing of your love 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 as a, a gathering song, but also a re-gathering song. Okay, you've been having this discussion. Now I'm going to play the introduction to this song that you've sung already and we're going to all sing it together again kind of like to bring us all back together. Yeah. And 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 being clear was vital. I, I think mm -hmm. people, um, so that we didn't lose them, and and uh, as long as they knew somebody was in charge, that somebody had a clue where we were going, they felt, I think, more comfortable and, and willing to trust, okay, you're not going to lead us hopefully off a cliff, but but at least we'll go together. Yeah. For me, it was like a lot of spatial imagination. I'm not really a spatial person, but I had to like really visualize like, okay, where are people moving? What's happening next? I mean, for me, I move between different instruments. Where am I moving? What's Who's, who's where? Who's on first? And in our planning, we often went into the sanctuary to visualize some of the things we did involved movement around the sanctuary. And we really needed to be in the space to figure out the best way that we can move people around that they might be comfortable. <laughs> and we also expanded outside of our normal worship space. There were times where we went out to the narthex or we utilized spaces that weren't typical. One Sunday we had to be in the chapel um, because something else was going on in the sanctuary and we utilized our parlor space for that particular Sunday. By something else we mean there wasn't air conditioning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And St. Louis in the summer is miserable. Yes, but it really not only pushed our um, intellectual boundaries, but also our physical space boundaries as well. So Emily's going to tell us some more about the specific 
activities that we did. And one reason we're running through these is because we are also releasing a um, kind of a curriculum for the summer that we created so churches could um, draw on that. If you want to draw on this, um, it will be um, available. I'll have the link to it in the show notes. Um, be, because, you know, we created a lot of really interesting interesting experiences around worship. And we're not going to charge royalties for for this resource, but if you wanted to write a thank you note to us and attach it to a 55-inch screen TV. Oh, I, uh, I was thinking you like scotch, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tequila. or a bottle of single malt. Uh, <laughs> Bill would not complain. But so, Emily, what, what are some of the specific things that we did? Yeah, so as we, you know, mentioned before, this was really an experimental uh, summer. And so what we wanted to do was try to experiment with a broad range of activities that we could do just to kind of see what's going to stick, what's not going to stick, what's going to work really well, what's going to fail faithfully. Um, So we tried to do something different every single Sunday. And a few of the things that we did – we did some prayer stations one Sunday. We did a window scavenger hunt one Sunday, which was really fascinating. We have really vibrant, big church windows, stained glass windows, and a lot of our members just don't have the time or take the time to look at them and didn't notice some of the really interesting things that we have in our windows. So we did a scavenger hunt one Sunday. Um, we spent some time going outside of our worship space to walk around our building and see if and how our building was welcoming to others, a kind of an architectural tour of the building, are, is our building as welcome as we say our church is? I feel like that was one of the most, we had to really think through that because we ended up, uh, we numbered the bulletins to get people in groups. We thought about the zones for the building. We thought about making sure that we had people who were the timekeepers to get people back into the sanctuary. It was like a lot of back-end detail. How are we going to make this happen? Yeah, so prayer stations was our first service that we did, and um, I had done prayer stations previously with our youth, and they really seemed to enjoy it. Um, I often tell people the half an hour that I did with my youth at a lock-in was the most silent I've ever heard these kids in my life. You could hear a pen drop in our sanctuary because they were so engaged with the prayer stations. Um, So our first Sunday, we did prayer stations, and it was interesting because like many sanctuaries, there's a lot of space but there's not a lot of usable space unless you're sitting in a pew. So to think about how to use that space to get multiple stations um, really took some time. We did go into the sanctuary. We spent some time walking around trying to figure out how we were going to do this. And in the end, we ended up with a few large tables at the front where people could circle around those tables and work on drawing or writing or a prayer station of that nature. But we also utilized our walls. So we had one prayer station that involved a map of the world and post-it notes. So I taped a giant map to the wall. Um, we had another station that had butcher paper where people could write things on it. Um, so we utilized space that wasn't significant space. There wasn't a lot of space, but people could get in and out because they were standing at a wall. Um, and that and what were to they to out. do at the prayer station? So one of the prayer stations with the butcher paper on the wall, um, they were thinking of those neighbors that we don't like to think about, like maybe the addicted neighbor or um, the pedophile neighbor or that type of neighbor and creating a prayer wall of those types of neighbors as a reminder that every single human on this planet is our neighbor, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what their circumstances. 
Um, we had one prayer station with a kind of fake community map, kind of what you would see, those little kids' rugs that have streets and buildings and you can run your car on. Um, and it only had the streets on it. And so we invited people to add into this community the things that make a community. So some people put schools and churches. Other people put homeless shelters. Some One person put a Planned Parenthood building. Um, so to get them thinking about what constitutes a neighborhood. Uh, we had, again, the prayer station with a map of the world, and then next to it was a map of St. Louis, and people could take a um, Sharpie and a Post-it note and write a prayer for a specific area. And didn't you have different news stories around the map, also things that were going around, going on around the world that yes. we could pray for? Yeah. So I, I wanted to provide um, – kind of a foundation of what types of things were going on in the world. Um, so I had, you know, natural disasters. I had violence. Um, I had issues around school shootings, um, all sorts of different things so that to kind of get people's minds thinking about what was going on globally. So they could write their um, prayer on a Post-it note and stick it onto the globe in the appropriate spot or onto a spot in St. Louis that was something a little more local. Within the theme of Neighborhood Summer, I mentioned earlier, we kind of got a little bit into the weeds, but we uh, we talked about art, and we talked about ritual, or we, we created things with the theme of ritual, and we created things with the theme of mission. So what we've been talking about right now has been around, like, like architecture, and we, we did some poetry, prayer stations with, with drawing and things like that, but we did, yeah, music. Um, we, we had a little bit of music theater. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but, but we created around those different thematic areas. Right. So each each one of these activities that we did was put into one of those themes. So the month of June, we took with ritual. The month of July, we focused on art. I may have these mixed up. And then um, August, we focused on service. So each one of these activities fit into one of those um, themes for the month. Um, with the overarching theme of neighborhood. neighborhood. <laughs> there were a lot of themes As going I said, on. a little bit into the weeds, but, you know, it's all good. So we were trying to accomplish the neighborhood theme and also these monthly themes and also having an educational focus each Intergenerational worship. Right. There was a lot going on. So there were three activities that we did throughout the summer that we got a whole lot of really positive feedback on. Um, one of them was discussion. Almost every single service there was some form of discussion around the activity that we did, whether it was sitting around a communal large table for communion or it was doing haikus or it was just having a little pew talk. There was a lot of discussion throughout the service. So discussion was uh, really positive. We got feedback on that. Another one was we did some panel sermons. Um, one of those panel sermons was the staff talking about baptism, what baptism means to us, why it's important to the church. Uh, and so we did that in what would typically have been our sermon slot. We had this panel sermon. The third, uh, another panel sermon that we did was we invited um, Mama Cat, Cat Daniels, to come and talk to us during August when we were focusing on service. Uh, Mama Cat runs an organization called Potbangers, and they feed the homeless, the unhoused in St. Louis, and use our kitchen a good deal of the time. So we invited her to come and speak about her mission, what led her to this mission, um, and a lot of the background of that organization. And we got a lot of really good feedback on that. 
Honestly, the most positive feedback we got was around testimony. We decided this summer that we were going to try to have testimony in the worship service, which is a big, scary thing for a church like ours. Can you say what we mean by testimony? Because like, I grew up very conservative Baptist. We use the word testimony in a different way. <laughs> and we had a lot of people in the survey reference testimonials, but that was not what we were doing. <laughs> These are not testimonials either. Yeah, so we invited members of the church to um, speak about two or three minutes about um, where they had seen God in their lives. And it was really a broad topic, and we got a lot of really varying different kinds of stories in these testimonies. But it was it was one of those things where we go in knowing it's going to be a challenge to fill these slots because this is not something our congregation is really used to. And it's the summer. A lot of people are out of town or in town for three Sundays across the whole summer. Right. And our church is just not generally uh, – Unless we're giving announcements to kind of speak in public on your own personal kind of stuff. And I think our decision to want testimony in worship was because we see a challenge with talking about our faith and sharing faith stories. And this was an opportunity to have people willing to get in front of the microphone and do that and model that for the rest of the congregation. Right. So Pastor Bill really, um, took this on himself and started inviting members of the congregation to do testimony. We tried to have a testimony each week. Um, and while it was challenging and exciting and people were oftentimes hesitant to do it, we did have testimony almost every single week throughout the summer. And the feedback was just amazing. People really enjoyed it. And one of the major things that came out of testimony that was unexpected was a little vulnerability. And I'm going to pass it off to Bill now to talk a little bit more about that. I want to echo uh, that how difficult it was to find people for this. It, it takes <laughs> a lot of time. Uh, in fact, I did such a bad job early on that I think the four of us were the first four people to give testimony. Uh, we, we were modeling. We did model, but it was also, gosh, we needed. Um, but that did, I think, make people more comfortable with it, that yeah. they saw what we were doing. There were all sorts of things we learned from the summer, and, and one of the biggest surprises, as Emily said, was that the experience seemed to help people become more vulnerable with each other. Um, as, as members and friends of the congregation listened to someone up giving testimony, uh, I know that after some of the services, I saw people talking to each other because they had a similar story in their life, and they wanted to connect with the person who um, talked to, you know, who, who shared that story. Um, this church is also about two and a half, three years past a period of significant conflict. And there was a lot of uh, just not talking to each other uh, because of the conflict. And I would also venture to guess that some of the conflict was, was came about in the first place because people hadn't been talking to each other as much. They they kind of lost connection with each other. And, and so having people saying to people, okay, I want you to talk to the folks around you in the pew, groups of four or five, you got five minutes, go. Uh, and, and so people were kind of forced to talk to each other. And, and what we discovered from this, very happily, very completely accidentally, nothing planned, we weren't that good, um, was that there was an increased level of vulnerability in the congregation. And, and, and I dare I even say maybe a little trust building 
going on. And that was a, that was a real gift of grace to us uh, that, that came out of uh, this experience. And, and I would say if, if anyone else you know, out there is, wants to try something like this uh, for their church, don't assume you have to figure out everything. Uh, look for those surprises. Look for where the Holy Spirit is going to drag you in some places that you didn't imagine you'd go. I think also, though, uh, maybe there's something that could be uh, drawn on. Uh, maybe there's something here to learn from, which is that these small activities that prompt small vulnerabilities can grow into something more. Yes. Because, you know, having a conversation about, say, the first time you, f- you felt like you were in community with people, like, that's not really vulnerable. That's not really personal. But it is something about yourself. And maybe it's something about yourself that um, tells a story that you wouldn't normally tell. But that kind of small action repeated over the whole summer, you know, that adds up to a lot. And, and you know, I think about my growing up in church. We talked before the service. We talked after the service. We would never talk to one another during the service unless, well, the youth group did that. Unless you're three. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 but, but it just it wouldn't seem appropriate. And, and so inviting people in a, in a time and space where they're normally not engaged in conversation to enter into that conversation, giving them permission uh, to do that, that permission went farther than we imagined. And I just want to note that all of these activities were activities that anyone of any age could participate in. Granted, a three-year-old is maybe not going to have the same experience that a 40-year-old is going to have, but every single person in our worshiping community could participate in these activities. And, and, and kind of to tag on to this, that, that people, you know, the vulnerability was, was something that came out of the services that we weren't anticipating. I was pleasantly surprised by um, our summer attendance. Uh, normally, attendance around this church just plummets. People are all over the the country and the world, and uh, if they get here, I think somebody said once a month earlier, that's a big thing. And, and we're used to our attendance dropping pretty significantly. And what I found is, while the you know we didn't add huge numbers uh, to the summer, we were consistent uh, from week to week, even as people were traveling, people were still coming. They were finding, they were curious as to what we were going to be doing the next week. What are so kids up to back. this week? Yeah, yeah. What are, what are they going to put us through? I, I, I can't wait to find out. And, and, and they came in greater numbers. And, and that was a plus. I was also really impressed by the way the congregation was willing to jump in and do something different, talk to each other during the service or move around when they weren't used to doing that and maybe weren't comfortable doing, but they were willing to try it. And that was that really contributed to how well the summer went. The the day that really caught me most off guard was the day we invited people to write haikus. Uh, and, and we put a definition in the bulletin about what a haiku is and how many syllables and uh, and and gave them some kind of vague invitation to write a haiku about faith and, and community. And, and then said, does anybody want to share their haiku? And there was just silence. And all of a sudden, somebody stood up and said, I'll share one. And, and, and then brave another person. Soul. Yeah, it, it was a brave soul. And then another person and another person. And it was probably 14, 15, 16 haikus shared later that we finally said, we got to move on because we were trying to pay some attention to time. But I was thrilled with that level of creativity and thrilled that so many people were willing to share. And what they were sharing was profound. It was really amazing what was there. I think at the end of the summer, we knew as a staff we could not 
continue planning worship in this same way because it was really intensive and took a lot of time that we all really enjoyed doing, but it was more than we could probably do on a continued basis. But I think it did allow us to continue doing creative things in worship going forward, even if it's not every Sunday and it's not as extensive. We've done some things since then that people have jumped right into and been really comfortable and excited about because we had done a lot of that this summer. We've also become more collaborative in our worship planning. It's not quite at the same level of everything has to be intensively around the same theme that relates to another theme, but more like, oh, we have a shared Google Doc now, and we all put our worship materials there rather than each of us having our own spaces for that. And we talk through things in our weekly staff meetings rather than just kind of like saying, oh, it'll all come together. One last thing we want to mention is around the idea of sermon and what the purpose of a sermon is. So, so this summer, uh, instead of keeping the sermon title, uh, we, we called that time teaching. Uh, again, trying to, to go at this idea of how can we use worship more intentionally for faith formation. And, and so I, as, as the one who was often offering the teaching time, um, would, would talk for three, four, five, seven minutes, whatever, whatever it was, and set up the activity that we were going to then invite the congregation to do. Um, and once it was explained and, and I provided a little background uh, for what it might be, perhaps, um, I said, you've got X many minutes, go. And people went. And, and the music would call them back. And now there were times when, when we were all looking at each other saying, okay, has this run long enough? Do we need to let it go a little bit longer? And then we would cue Sarah, who would offer the music, which people learned was the cue to call them back. And, and, and even that was kind of fun to, to have that flexibility within the service. If we saw something was going really well, we didn't feel pressure to cut it right away. That was part of that collaboration. We were really paying attention to what was going on in worship and not just like, okay, Okay, press play on the template that we always do. We really had to pay attention to what was going on. That's right. That's right. The congregation, by the end of the summer, I think recognized how much effort we were putting into uh, the services. And, and there was a fair amount of appreciation. Um, I, I know, I think all of us were thanked by different folks at different times and, and in our leadership board and our committees, people pointed time and time again to, wow, the staff has really put a lot of effort into this summer and what, what a good experience it has been. Um, and, and I, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm moving on uh, to another interim church, and, and I don't fully know what's going to happen, but I know some of our conversations about how might this carry forward has, has included the idea of, well, can we involve the congregation more intentionally with us as staff in planning this kind of worship? So as we go forward, with that in mind, trying to keep uh, get the congregation more involved in worship planning, um, we've had a couple people who have explicitly said, you know, it would be nice to be able to take ownership of our own, some of the pieces of our own worship. And we loved what you did over the summer, but it would be cool if we could also participate in that creative process. So as we're going forward, we are taking a program that was already in place, which we called the Meeting Ground. We meet on Thursday evenings for a meal some music, and then a small educational worship 
So we have this uh, this program that we do, and we decided that this year, heading into Lent, we're going to do this program the three Wednesdays in February plus – or three Thursdays in February plus Ash Wednesday, and we decided we would – work this around our Lenten worship. And one of the things we're going to do in this time, in this program, is to invite the members who come to this program to creatively come up with some ways they can participate in Lenten worship as well. So we're going to be looking at an art installation for Lent. We're going to be looking at some liturgy, creating liturgy. How do we create liturgy? Doing that creatively. Um, We're going to be looking at a take-home piece that they can take home to do their own Lenten worship in their own homes. And we're also going to be inviting them to creatively think about their own prayer stations that they can then put into our Lenten worship space. So that's it for this week's installment of Getting to Nimble. Special thanks to Hannah Rice and Emily Stokes for joining us in this episode. Look for our new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. You can find our show notes at Sarah. And you can also find a link to the curriculum we created for A Neighborhood Summer. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry friends and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps other people actually find this show. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, keep it nimble, but keep it legal.